นโมทัสสะกุวะทัวระหะตัวสัมมาสัมบุตหัสสะนโมทัสสะกุวะทัวระหะตัวสัมมาสัมบุตหัสสะนโมทัสสะกุวะทัวระหะตัวสัมมาสัมบุตหัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนมัสสะจิตตวิเวกขมนสตรีแล้วก็อาจารย์อมรโอและอาจารย์นันดาและอมรวัตติและหนึ่งสิ่งที่ผมเรียนรู้มาคือว่าเป็นความสำคัญที่สุดในการพยายามที่จะชีวิตชีวิตที่ดีที่สุดในการพยายามที่จะชีวิตชีวิตที่ดีที่สุด Essential, it really is, to make sure we have the foundations in place. And and one of the foundations in this spiritual life is uh, spiritual friendship. As you probably all know, the the uh, conversation the Buddha had with his attendant Vinayananda about the place of spiritual companionship, where Vinayananda was reporting how he had. Said that it's oh it's fifty percent of the holy life, and the Buddha corrected him and said no, it's the whole thing. And spiritual companionship is uh, it's the foundation. If we don't have good spiritual companions, then we're seriously disadvantaged. And not to say that we can't actually live a spiritual life, but the Buddha did clearly indicate how important it was, and and I was reminded. Of the place of friendliness uh, on this occasion, and um, came back feeling very nourished by these meetings with some of these monks I've known for, um, well, Ajahn Amro and Ajahn Suchito for uh, well over 30 years, and uh, Ajahn Jitendra, and so I thought I could uh, perhaps uh, suggest that we contemplate this together this evening. Securing the foundations of practice, and and particularly uh, considering this aspect of friendliness, it's something I was speaking about with the community here uh, a day or so ago, and it's not something that we can afford to take for granted. So, mm. Like the goal of our practice. What we're interested in is being free from our habits of clinging. And the Buddha realized the state of unshakable liberation. He realized the transcendent reality, that perspective from which one can understand there can be boundless wisdom and boundless compassion. And wisdom and compassion are the natural consequence of having transcended all delusions. And the Buddha realized that reality. And all his teachings were pointing in that direction, towards that reality. 
so that we could realize it. So that's the goal. That's what we're really interested in. That's what we want. Letting go is what we want. But when it comes down to it, we can't really do the letting go. Well, I know I'm clinging. You know, like maybe you're in a bad mood or something. Oh, I'm obviously clinging to something. We can't just let go. Somebody comes along and says, let go, let go. You read all these dumber books about letting go and we can't do the letting go. Letting go is what happens. Letting go is what happens. It's not what we do. It's the goal, yes. Letting go of our habits of clinging is the goal, but we don't do it. But letting go happens when conditions are conducive. So that's what we do. That's what we can cultivate is conducive conditions. And certainly uh, friendliness, friendship, uh, spiritual companionship is a conducive condition. We might uh, learn a lot about things. We might understand a lot of stuff. We might uh, be successful in letting go of some stuff. But there's other stuff that takes a very long time to let go of. And and what is it that sustains us? Mm. If we don't build our spiritual practice on firm foundations, secure foundations, then maybe we don't have what it takes to sustain the effort. Mm. Month after month, year after year. Mm. Inspiration is great. When inspiration comes along, you can... Maybe you meet a teacher or you read a book or you go on a retreat and have some great insights and you can feel inspired. But uh, probably as all of us have realized that inspiration passes. Mm. Inspiration is like sort of excitement. You can't feel excited all the time. Excitement passes then you feel bored. That's normal. That's life. Feeling inspired has got its place. It's normal. But also, inspiration passing is normal. What is it that sustains us? What are the foundations of our practice? Well, one of the things is uh, the attitude of friendliness and uh, appreciating the conducive conditions that enable letting go. So we can focus on what are the conditions that enable letting go. Friendliness is one of those conditions. These days, as some of you will have, well, probably everybody's noticed, you walk in front of the Dhamma Hall and there's beautiful wildflowers that are there and and, that's splendid, beautiful uh, array of wildflowers growing there. Well, they're there because the conditions were conducive. Last year, Will put down the seeds, but it was more than just putting down the seeds. He had to fence it off so that the trucks didn't drive over it. Conducive conditions. You've got to protect the seeds. Actually, before even putting the seeds down, had to remove some of those those, uh, overzealous plants that were there that would have actually taken over and would have stop the seeds, the wildflower seeds from germinating and that's also conducive conditions and sometimes we need to remove those tendencies you know, some of the tendencies we have like being a little bit self-obsessed and opinionated and being unfriendly 
can't be bothered being friendly with anybody. I was busy dwelling on my own views and opinions and preferences. Well, that might feel very normal. That might feel very like me. But maybe it feels that way because we've just done it for a long time. You know, one of the, the, uh, the right efforts that the Buddha talked about was the effort to remove the already arisen unwholesome states of mind. And the four right efforts are you contemplate, and these also are conducive conditions. So bearing these in mind and contemplating them, preparing ourselves, because we might have all the seeds, we might hear great Dhamma talks and read great books, and the seeds of Dhamma, the seeds for insight have been sown, but if the conditions are not conducive, you know, like with the wildflowers are there, if they're not protected, if they're not watered, you know, they don't get enough sunlight, not enough warmth, this lovely, wet, warm weather we've had lately has really been conducive to those wildflowers blossoming. So a, um, another uh, conducive condition that is worth dwelling on is the shared commitment we have to transcendence. That's when we go for refuge to the Buddha and when we do it together like this and in, enchanting in, in and reciting the Dhamma Chakra Sutra as we were just now as a commitment to our respect to the Buddha. Why do we do this? Why do we bow to the Buddha? Why do we make offerings of incense, candles and flowers to the Buddha? Why do we do these things? Because we want to really, really make our commitment to the transcendent reality, our commitment to realization, a priority. Hmm. Now, in spiritual community, whether it's in the resident monastic community that we have here or including the extended lay community or the, the global community of human beings over the last two and a half thousand years who have shared this commitment to transcendence, to have a conscious appreciation of this is really helpful. Like with friendliness, meeting with Dhamma friends can be really nourishing. Also to stop and reflect that there's thousands, millions of people around the planet who share this respect for the transcendent reality, for transcendence, for transcending the world, for seeing through the way the world appears to be. The world appears to be crazy, (laughs) really nuts, really wacky, what's going on. That's the way it appears. And if we don't have a secure refuge, like in our case, the triple gem, the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, if we don't have that which symbolizes a transcendent reality, well, then we get caught up in the way things appear to be. We get caught up in apparent reality. But because of our faith, confidence, and shared commitment to the transcendent reality, then we have an orientation. This helps us navigate our way through the craziness of the world. Hopefully we remember from time to time to just pull back Don't believe in the way things appear to be. It can appear very convincing, very disturbing, very unsettling. Don't believe it. It appears that way. Would the Buddha have been shaken by the way things appear to be? Would the Buddha have been shocked by that happening? He might have been disappointed. The Buddha was disappointed from time to time in the The scriptures record how the Buddha was disappointed with some of his recalcitrant monks and and situations he had to put up with. But the Buddha was never shocked. The Buddha was never shocked because he wasn't clinging to any assumptions. The Buddha was so well established in the transcendent reality 
that he was never shocked by anything. So the Buddha never suffered. So that's also foundational, you know, our shared commitment, our shared commitment to the transcendent reality. And what is it that energizes us on that path of shared commitment? Can people still hear me with the rain? Andrew, can you hear me? Yeah. So what is it that fuels us, you know, in terms of building a secure foundation? Well, we don't just build the foundations, but we also want to build on the foundations. How do we energize building the spiritual practice that we've committed to? How do we do that? Where do we get the energy from? Well, one of those things is renunciation. In the spiritual community here, this is emphasized uh, as one of the main parami that uh, we uh, want to develop. Nekama parami, renunciation parami. This, this, what is renunciation? And it's not just for monks and nuns. Renunciation is the ability to say no to those things that we waste energy on. We waste energy on talking too much, on eating too much, on distracting ourselves. Well, that's basically the most simple way of putting it. Now, addiction to distraction, because you know, when we start to get a feeling for what the Buddha was talking about. Yes, he was talking about building up reserves of strength and confidence and recognition of ability. But all of that is in service of penetrating the veils of ignorance. The ignorance that is so deeply rooted in our hearts and minds takes a lot of work. That's why the Buddha took lifetimes. You know, the great enlightened beings of lifetimes. For us, all of us have some, some good intention, but we realize it takes more than a, one or two retreats or a few weeks or months. It takes years to change these habits that we have. And so we need to have the foundation in place and secure, friendly relationships. And, but also we need to fuel this and one of the best ways of fueling it is with this, this capacity to say no to those things that waste energy. Yeah. Ajahn Amaro has this, uh, this way of encouraging people to go on what he calls data fasts. You know, basically, turn off your mobile phone for, for 24 hours or, or maybe a week once in a while to go on retreat and just don't take your mobile phone with you. Don't check your your social networking accounts, don't look at television. Because these things, not these things are necessarily in and of themselves bad, but we can lose energy by engaging in them heedlessly. So, How do we check to see our relationship with with these things, with social networking, with internet, with talking, with eating? How do we check to see our relationship with these things? Well, we come back a little bit. You know, like Ajahn Chai would say with, with food, how do you know the right amount of food? Well, eat less than you want. And, and then you really know, oh, I need a little bit more. All oh, right, that's the right amount. You know, with talking, how do we know the right amount of talking? Well, train by not talking as much as we want. Not out of a judgment for talking. That's a very simplistic attitude towards these things. What we're trying to do is find out what is the appropriate level of energy to be spent on these activities, like eating, like talking, like sleeping. 
it's uh, difficult to address these things without sounding moralistic, but if we're sincere in our commitment to uh, realization of the transcendent reality, well, you know, we, we want to experiment, we want to uh, yeah, try it out, see, you know, can I do without sleep, a little bit of sleep, you know, maybe just get up an hour earlier, just try it out, and if that's means we're going to be tired, well then we get up half an hour earlier until we find the right amount. So this shared commitment to renunciation is a foundational element. This is what one of the things that fuels our spiritual practice and really important. So these various dimensions of the spiritual life, friendliness, yeah, conscious commitment to the transcendent reality, not just taking it for granted. Yeah. We might go for refuge, we might, as I said, go on a retreat and have some great insights, but regularly, that's why we have these ritual ways of coming for puja regularly, starting the day and ending the day, going for refuge. Yeah. I commit my life, I orient my life towards these principles, yeah, towards the Buddha, towards the Dhamma, towards the Sangha, and these principles, these objects of devotion that for us symbolize the potential we have for realizing actual wisdom and actual compassion. Also the shared commitment we have towards conscious sensitivity. And we all have sensitivity, but how conscious is our sensitivity? How mindful is our sensitivity? And we have sensitivity that we can be indulging in. We can be getting lost in. We might appreciate friendliness and we can cultivate friendliness. We can cultivate what's known as the the divine abidings, the four divine abidings, metta, karuna, mudita, rupeka. Loving kindness, compassion, empathetic joy, equanimity. We can cultivate these. Now, particularly the first three, we can cultivate them in a way whereby we're just getting off on the good feeling, you know, loving kindness, it feels nice. If we don't have skillful approach, if we don't have right mindfulness, we could just be feeding on the good feeling. Or like with samadhi, maybe you have a facility for developing samadhi and good feelings can arise from from cultivating peaceful states of mind. But if we don't have real mindfulness there and wise reflection, we can just get caught up in the good feelings and be indulging in it. So cultivating these qualities is a conscious sensitivity, a commitment to the cultivation of conscious sensitivity. Yes, imbuing the heart with compassion, feeling the suffering, one's own suffering, and wishing oneself be free from that suffering, wishing all beings be free from suffering, witnessing, looking at beings and looking at the suffering of the world, the confusion, the despair, how sad it is, really looking at the news and and just seeing all these resources that we have on the planet with more food than we could possibly consume, more clothes than we could ever wear, more wealth than we need, and yet look how unfair it all is and how... What do we do with the sadness? Well, from a practice perspective, we can cultivate, can we really feel the sadness, let the sadness open our hearts, let that feeling of sadness sink in. 
but in a mindful way, in a conscious way, not in an indulgent way. The cultivation of the four divine abidings is it's foundational in our practice. Now, if we have these facilities, if we have these elements in place, you know, the conscious commitment to the transcendent reality, we're reaffirming that over and over again. Conscious commitment to renunciation, our resource, our way of accessing energy. Conscious commitment to conscious sensitivity then I would suggest that we have a good foundation. So yes, we're aspiring towards letting go of our habits and the realisation that the Buddha realised and the Buddha was talking about and the great realised beings have come to know for themselves directly. But as I was saying before, we can't do the letting go. Like if you're feeling hurt about something, disappointed and somebody said something unkind and you want to really let go. We can't do it. We can't make ourselves let go. Don't tell ourselves, come on, let go. Snap out of it. That doesn't help. That's just like being judgmental. It actually can make it worse. But what does help is if we've already prepared ourselves with appreciation of these foundational elements that conduce with letting go, that conduce with conditions this is exemplified by anybody who's practicing rightly. And you look at the scriptures, you can see there's uh, times when the Buddha himself was uh, spending time with his monks. Some were being harmonious and some were being disharmonious. And uh, you may know the, the um, example of when the Buddha was with these monks in Kosambi. And a real bunch of troublemakers, these guys. And, and uh, not all the time, but um, there's one incident where there was a um, a couple of monks were sharing a residence together, and and one of the monks he was uh, he was the vinaya expert. He was uh, kind of really good on all the rules, and but the monk he was sharing the room with thought he wasn't doing his chores properly and started having a go at him, and then the vinaya monk started reacting and and getting upset with the other monk and. These two monks who are ostensibly committed to transcendence and, and friendship and realisation and all the rest of it fell out with each other big time. And even the Buddha couldn't solve the problem. Even the Buddha couldn't resolve this conflict. So eventually he left. Buddha left Kosambi and went off to what's called the East Bamboo Grove where Anuruddha and his monks were living. And it's a very... Uh, beautiful explanation of the the Buddha's experience of arriving at the East Bamboo Grove. And initially, the uh, park keeper uh, turned the Buddha away and and said, oh no, the monks living here, they they prefer to be left alone and in solitude, not realising he was just turning the Buddha away. But Anuruddha uh, found out about it and, of course, welcomed the Buddha in. And and the Buddha was uh, really commented in this uh, discourse uh, how the Buddha was... Um, impressed by the sense of contrast between these monks over here in Kosambi who were bickering and bad-mouthing and squabbling and being disharmonious and generating a thoroughly unpleasant, unconducive atmosphere, and this bunch of monks uh, living with Anuruddha who were living in harmony and, and it was a very pleasant, agreeable atmosphere. And, 
And the Buddha noticed the contrast and he asked Anuruddha, so what is it? How do you manage to live together? And, and Anuruddha pointed out how that um, he recognized what a benefit it is living in a harmonious atmosphere. You know, how, how conducive it is to live with people who share these aspirations for liberation, for spiritual friendship, you know, for cultivation of the, the Dhamma. How beautiful that is. And, and recognizing that, you know, well, how can I contribute to that? The way I can contribute to that is by putting my preferences aside and paying attention to what helps others. So letting go of me in my way and focusing on generating benefit for others. And, and so Anuruddha was pointing out how he said, although on the outside you know, we're all individuals and separate, actually on the inside we're as if one, one mind, one heart. And he used the expression of, uh, it's like water and milk mixing together, blending perfectly. And, but this is something to cultivate. This is not just something that happens. And so this story, this contemplation, uh, these principles, these foundation elements are things we want to bring to heart and bring to mind and dwell on because they're beautiful. They conduce with that which brings about letting go. And on that occasion, the Buddha stayed for quite some time with the monks at, you know, living under Anuruddha and uh, in the bamboo grove and then he went off to another more remote place and uh, another beautiful story that you might have heard about how he dwelt in complete solitude because of the benefit that it afforded him. And, and he was willing to go without food, but as it happened, the, um, the record goes how a monkey brought him some fruit and the Buddha was looked after anyway. Eventually he left there and didn't go back to Kosambi, probably because it wasn't a, an attractive option. And so he went back to Savati and settled in a Savati. And, but there's a good ending to the story because eventually these squabbling troublesome monks who didn't know how to create conducive atmosphere, the lay people sorted them out by refusing to give them alms food. You know, these squabbling monks ended up going hungry because the lay people weren't impressed with the, the lack of conducive conditions. And so the monks cleaned up their act and recognizing the error of their way, went to see the Buddha in Savati and asked for forgiveness, and of course the Buddha forgave him. Which, of course, again, is another recognition of conducive conditions. Yeah. Harboring ill will. We all make mistakes. We all misperceive what contributes to harmony, what is a beautiful, true expression of friendship. Yeah. But the important thing is to as soon as we recognize it, to try to make amends and uh, renew our commitment to cultivating these foundational principles. So thank you very much this evening for your attention. Uh-huh.